0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California. Well, to bring you up to speed, if you've been traveling, on vacation, out of pocket, or you're visiting, or a first-timer, just by way of reminder, we're going through the book of Genesis, at least I promised the first three chapters, so we started that a few weeks ago. And we are already in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, on day 4. So we're going to look at day 4 according to God's words today. Last week, was that amazing? If you weren't here, the testimonies from Hope House never gets old year after year. It's me. Hannah, you made us cry in a good way. So we thank God for that ministry. So we took a break from Genesis for a week, but we're back today. And so the sermon today... Day four of creation, God creates the sun. Genesis 1, 14 through 19. Not just the sun, but the sun, moon, and stars. Let me read it. Listen along of what God did on day four. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs And for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night. And to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. So on day four, according to the Bible, first chapter in the Bible, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's amazing. The sun, the moon, and the stars. So I want to ask you, as you probably no doubt within the last week maybe had a chance to look at the moon. The moon was supposed to be rather unique in the last week, bigger than it's ever been before in terms of its appearance to us. I don't know if you saw that. Or if you've looked at the sun, don't do that. Or the stars. Recently I was in the Grand Canyon and we, when we were on that Grand Canyon trip, we would sleep on the beach of the river, and at nighttime, it was dark as could be, but the stars were as bright as ever. That was amazing. And I noticed that there's the Big Dipper. Hey, the Big Dipper looks like just the same thing as in California and Colorado. It hasn't changed in 50 years. That's amazing. When we look at the stars, we're supposed to think something. We're supposed to bring something to our mind when we look at the sun, moon, and the stars they were created by God for a purpose. This passage tells us, among other things, the purpose of why he created the sun, moon, and stars. There is much confusion as to why God created the sun, moon, and stars, why they exist, how long they've existed, how they came into existence, how they got there, what purpose do they serve. Bible answers all those questions. Moses actually wrote Genesis. Moses wrote Genesis probably after he was used by God, raised by God to lead almost 2 million Jews or Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Those Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. Think about that, God's people. God brought them there under the days of the 12 sons of Jacob when they were just about 76 people, and over the course of 400 years, God multiplied them into over two, about 2 million people. Fulfilling his promise, he made to Abraham in Genesis 12, and he said... Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he was talking to Abraham, one man. Well, one man doesn't make a nation. What does a nation need? A nation needs people. And so during their time of slavery, even though that was bad in Egypt, God was fulfilling a promise. God works all things together for good. And they went there with 76 people. They left Egypt after 400 years with a nation of Jews fulfilling the promise that God had made to Abraham. But while they were there in Egypt for 400 years, they were subjected to false religion, false ideologies, false worldviews. That was not their home. And for centuries, false religion had reigned supreme in Egypt, Egypt being one of the greatest empires of the world, of the ancient world in that day for centuries. And that's where the Jews were, the Israelites were. That's where they were incubated and, and grown, and they were slaves. They had... Fewer and fewer rights as time went on, so they were subjected to false religion that reigned supreme in Egypt, the Egyptian cults and false religions. And at the heart of Egyptian false religion was the worship of the heavenly beings, including the worship of the sun that they called Ra, R-A or R-E, Ra, the sun god, the god of the sun, or the sun who is God, a god. So the ancient Egyptians in the days of Moses believed that the sun was a deity, a divine being, a living thing, a god a created thing and at the same time one that creates other things like the moon. And they believed that the sun was a living being and uh, the sun that was a living being would go across the sky and then it would go to bed at nighttime and then it would be reborn on the next day literally once again as the sun rises. And they believed that the sun was a living being, a powerful being, a God, a fickle God at that, not a perfect God, not a comprehensive infinite God, but a God indeed that needed to be appeased, coerced, adored, worshipped, manipulated, feared. That was the Egyptian view of the sun. And no doubt they probably tried to force that on the Egyptians or the Jews. That's one example. They also believed the moon was a god. They believed the stars were living deities. The Egyptians, they had all kinds of gods, a pantheon of gods. As a matter of fact, the ten uh, plagues that God did through Moses in Egypt, each one of those plagues was a specific attack on a false Egyptian god. There was a god of the Nile. And then Yahweh and Moses said, oh, here's what I think of your god of the Nile, turning it to blood. So this false religion, these false views were really in the DNA of the Jewish people as a culture, as a community. At least that was the goal of the Egyptians. Fortunately, God spared the Jewish people, for the most part, from absorbing it totally wholesale into their ideology worldview. And they were willing to believe what Moses had to say about true religion. So one of the main things God purposed to do in the 40 years during the desert was to expunge these 2 million people who had been subjected to this godless, paganistic worldview for 400 years in the desert and give them new revelation, divine revelation, revelation from heaven, from God that was the truth, truth they hadn't heard in centuries. And it started with their view of God, their view of the Creator, and the debunking of all these false views of gods that they were told were true, like that the Son is a god and to be feared. And the sun rules over humanity and dictates the lives of humans. And that they are to be subject and sacrifice to the son. So God speaks through divine revelation through Moses in the desert. At the end of that time, he writes down this divine revelation, gives it to the Jewish people, reads it aloud and says, thus saith the Lord, here is the truth about God. And then he gave them Genesis through Deuteronomy, five books, the Pentateuch, the law of Moses, the Torah, absolutely amazing. And many of these Jews, no doubt, were hearing this truth for the first time in their life. How refreshing That must have been for them as a community and also knit them together as a nation. God told Abraham, I will make you a great nation. One man, you need people. So he accomplished that, multiplying them in Egypt over the course of 400 years. But you you need more than just people for a nation. You need unity as a nation. You need law. You need religion. You need something that is a common basis for you all as a community and for Then it was the religion of Yahweh, it was truth. Not only was it religious, it was political law as well, which every nation needs, needs to have laws. You can't function as a nation without laws. And that is what God entrusted to the people through Moses by giving them the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law, religious truth, spiritual truth, community truth, and also political truth, civil truth, to preserve them as a community, to be unified, to function in peace in a way that honors society, honors one another, and honors their creator. And so thus another promise that God gave to Abraham was fulfilled by the giving of the law through Moses, the Pentateuch. I will make you a great nation. You need people, you need laws. And that was fulfilled there. And it begins with the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one. So what a revelation this must have been to those people when the very first time when Moses came down from that hill or that mountain. And so what were you doing up there for 40 days? Moses, Well, actually, I was getting revelation from Almighty God, Yahweh, the creator, your creator, and the judge of all the earth and the only savior. That's what I was doing. He was giving me direct truth. He was speaking to me face to face as a friend. And I wrote it down on behalf of you for your good, for his glory. Well, what does it say? Well, here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he just continues to go on. Overruling, undermining, destroying all previous false worldview, re, world worldviews about religion and the paganism of of egypt it must have been breathtaking whoa uh, one after the other major false truth because ra the sun god was a major deity in egypt not one of obscurity major priority think even in the ten commandments when moses started that movie or no i'm sorry that was uh, the actor who looked like moses 50, 60 years ago, and they had the pharaoh in there, and at times the pharaoh was dressed up, and he had a helmet on the shape of a falcon, like a falcon on his head and a serpent on top. That was actually legitimate, representing the sun god, Ra. That was the picture that they would draw, representing Ra, the sun god, one of the most esteemed gods of Egypt who was to be feared. And yet, I said earlier, he was a finite god. He was a fickle god even had sinful attributes. But the Egyptians believed, indeed, he was a true God. And here comes Moses, and he says this about the sun. Verse 14 and 19. If you're paying close attention, notice my sermon title is Day 4 of Creation. God creates the sun. But when I read first, uh, Genesis chapter 1, 14 through 19, I never said the word sun, S-U-N. If you look at your English Bible, notice the word sun is not in the text. Day four, God created the sun, moon, and stars. If you look carefully in your Bible, uh, the text doesn't mention the word moon. Why is that? Well, it could very well be Moses, who grew up in Egypt. Moses, a divine mouthpiece for God. Moses, leading these 2,000 people who need divine revelation, who have been subjected to false revelation. Moses was very specific in what he wrote. Every single word, every tense of every word was divine revelation carefully selected by Almighty God, as the Spirit of God moved on Moses to write it down. There are no mistakes. Everything is absolutely intentional in what was communicated and written in Genesis chapter 1, 14 through 19. Why did Moses not use the word sun or moon? Well, it could, could be, this makes sense, is that the Semitic word for sun in Moses' day was the name of an Egyptian deity. And also, the name moon... The Semitic word for moon in Moses' day, which the Egyptians used and knew and the Hebrews also knew, was also the name of a false deity. So I just think it's interesting that in talking about God created the sun, the sun is not a God. The God didn't create anything. The God doesn't serve over all humanity. The converse is true. God created the sun out of nothing, instantaneously, for his purposes, to serve man with limitations, unlike what you believed Or we're taught in Egypt, and he doesn't even call it the sun, giving credence to that false God, even by recognition. Instead, he just calls it the greater light, kind of interesting, and the lesser light. So I would say in writing Genesis 1, Moses was giving divine truth wanted to communicate clearly the basics of who God is and his attributes and human existence, how it got here, the purpose of it, to the people of God, to the Israelites, to the covenant community. At the same time, I believe God, through Moses, was writing in a polemical way. What does that mean? A defensive way. What does that mean? Uh, Undermining and exposing the modern false ideologies and religions of the day. Undermining, exposing, and destroying the most dominant religion of the day, which the Egyptians had about all these false deities. And at the center of it was that the Son was a God. Which is in keeping with 2 Corinthians 10, when Paul commissions the church, Christians, and apostles to destroy. That's the word he used. It's military language. It is war language. It is fighting language. To destroy false views that are ultimately, bottom line, demonic. Destroy them, expose them, subject them to the mind of Christ, to the truth of Christ. And that is clearly Throughout all of chapter 1, what Moses is doing, it's, it's polemical. He is exposing the absurdity of this false Egyptian pantheon of gods. Well, ancient Egypt, ancient Babylon, they weren't the only ones that had distorted, perverted, messed up, clueless views about the sun, moon, and the stars. Actually, all of Mesopotamia, the whole biblical area. Babylon, the ancient Egyptians, uh, on to the Greeks, the Medo-Persians, even the Romans. They all had just totally distorted, unbiblical views of the sun, moon, and the stars. But they all had views about it. And usually, historically, for them, it was religious. And they were wrong. They, They turned the sun, moon, and stars into deities, into gods, which was an offense to God. That was blasphemy. And the Bible exposes that. We have false views about sun, moon, and stars today. Pretty common ones and practical ones. Maybe you have been exposed to these. Maybe you participated in them at one time or another. Maybe maybe you still do. I know that I grew up in a religious home, but it wasn't a biblical home. And I was literally, I'm not going to say brainwashed, but taught from the very time I was young all the way up until I was 18 years old, I was taught a wrong view about the sun, moon, and the stars. And it was kind of funny, but it was actually taken seriously. And that was, I was taught the horoscope. And every one of the 10 kids in our family, we knew what month we were born. We knew what sign we were. We knew all the attributes that were positive for our sign by virtue of the month we were born. Uh, All the negative attributes that came with that. For example, I was a Virgo born in September, early September. That meant something. There were three Virgos in our family. We all walked and believed accordingly of the Virgo. We knew what our sign was, what the element was, what month it was, what the dates were, what the attributes and virtues were. We, we read the daily newspaper, literally, the Rocky Mountain News and uh, our other newspaper, and they had a daily horoscope in there. And literally, you'd look on the date and boom, okay, there's your destiny of the day. Okay, here's what's going to happen to me today. Kind of like a fortune cookie sometimes has those as well. Fortune cookie religion. And some people really take that stuff seriously and live by it. Well, we did in our house. We had an eclectic hodgepodge of religious things that we lived by in our home. And the horoscope was one of them. That's deceptive. Some people see it as a game, oh, it's kind of fun, or whatever, don't take it seriously. But some people take it more seriously than others they're pretty absurd if you go back and look at them but anyway this, what's the zodiac or the horoscope is based on the zodiac that's a bunch of constellation of stars there's 12 of them they're arranged a certain way up in the heavens and based on their position and what day of the week it is and what day of the month it is and what based on what month you were born this is your future this is what will happen to you today this will be your mood this will like i said a, for, a fortune cookie so if you were born in early april you were in aries Aries people. Did you know? If you were born in April, you're an Aries at the beginning of April. That means you're a confident person. You're an enthusiastic person. Isn't that special? Doesn't that make you feel good? See how easy it is to believe. One of the drawbacks. Uh, oh, you're an honest person. Or if you're a Gemini, you're gentle. But one of the drawbacks is you're probably you're nervous. I think. I mean, we. So that when you have a biblical worldview, it's just how stupid is that? That only Gemini are prone to be gentle when. The Bible says in Galatians 5 that every Christian is commanded to be filled with the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. And every human being, regardless of when you were born, is a sinner and fallen and finite and weak and vulnerable to all weaknesses that come with human frailty, and nervousness, anxiety is one of those. That's why Jesus could say to the masses three times in Matthew 6, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. He's trying to assure them, and there's probably 10,000 plus people in that audience. He wasn't dividing them up into 12 categories based on your sign, pigeonholing them in a fabricated manner that doesn't correspond to biblical truth. So it's very misleading, even though some people think it's just kind of fun. So these are just examples of how the sun, moon, and stars have been misunderstood, misinterpreted, and even today, I'd say the most common misunderstanding of the sun, moon, and stars today in America and around the world is in light of the paradigm of evolution that we have been taught uh, that has grown and evolved since 1859. And so today, it's just matter of fact, they know the truth about sun, moon, and stars, the world, the secular world, the scientific. They know de facto. It's not theory. It's not hypothesis. It is fact what they know about sun, moon, and stars. How do I know that? How can I say that? Just read Wikipedia sometime. That's what I did. So I looked up sun, moon, and stars on Wikipedia. Here's what it said about the sun the sun came into existence 4.6 billion years ago just de facto i think there was even a footnote to establish the academic credibility of that statement we know for a fact the the sun came into existence the sun 4.6 billion years ago the earth came into existence after the sun 4.5 something something billion years ago so according to modern science They say it as a fact, the earth is 60 million years old, younger than the sun. Or the sun existed for 60 million years without the earth, which totally contradicts the Bible where God said he made the earth first, then the sun. But it's just matter of fact. It reads like a scientific encyclopedia. The sun came into existence 4.6 billion years ago, and then it talks about how it came into existence. All of a sudden, it just kind of flattened and turned into plasma, and then... Oh, really? And then it goes on to say, and it will continue to be constant and exist for the next five billion years. Now, there was no footnote on that statement. It's like, so somebody just decreed and said that's what they think about the So you read that as a Christian with a true biblical worldview. No, that is not science. That's religion. That's a a worldly, really atheistic ideology. Nobody knows what's going to happen five billion years ago. It's totally ironic that in that paragraph... They're saying what happened 4.6 billion years ago, as a matter of fact. And they're also dogmatically claiming what's going to happen to the sun 5 billion years from now, and it's going to uh, consume all the planets in the solar system, including the Earth, and it won't be around all this stuff de facto. That's true science. It's going to, science can't determine the future of what's going to happen 5 billion years ago. That's how you know, and it can expose it. That is not science. It's religion. Nobody knows what happened 4 billion years ago. Or what's going to happen 5 billion years ago? Save God alone, ironically. In Isaiah, when God talks about himself, distinguishes himself from all false gods, humans, ideologies. And he says, I am the Lord. There is no other. I am the Savior, knowing the beginning from the end. I am the Lord. That's Yahweh. That's our God. So we go to the Bible to learn the truth about these things. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's look at our outline, our three-point outline on the sun, the moon, and the stars. Point number one is the proclamation. All throughout Genesis chapter 1, when God is creating things, he is proclaiming. He is creating things just with a word because we talked about the power of God. He is so amazing. God can create something out of nothing just by the power of his word. We saw in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said... Let there be light, and there was light. And instantaneously, right when God spoke it, God created light. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, when God said, Let there be light, that was not the light of the sun, moon, or the stars. We talked about that. That was a different kind of light. As a matter of fact, take note in Genesis 1, 3, the word for light, light in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, is a different Hebrew word than the word light in Genesis 1, 14. Very important. The word for light in Genesis 1, verse 3. The word for light in Genesis 1, 4, 1, 5, 1, 18. Those are all different Hebrew words for light. It's or, long O-R. Genesis 1, 3, God created or, light. Light in general. And we said, what does God need to do to create light? Just energy, that's all. The the sun is just made up of energy, energy with the elements of and the compounds that are involved, and mostly hydrogen and helium. It's about 99% of the sun. So it's a different word. So God uses a different word in describing the lights in chapter 1, verse 14, lights, and then also in uh, 15. Actually, one translation, I like what they do in verse 14. Then God said, let there be luminaries, luminaries, It's a different Hebrew word. It's not or, O-R. It's or, M-A-O-R. Different word. And can be translated as luminary. Get this, lamp. That's a good translation. It's like this finite, specific container. Light bearers is another translation. That's good. That's a good distinction. Then God said, let there be luminaries in the expanse. Then God said, let there be lamps in the expanse which distinguishes it from the light he made on verse 3, a different kind of light. That was just light in general, the energy of light, light uncontained, light not necessarily reigned in or isolated in one place. All God did on day 4 is he took the light that was available and all the energy in only a way that he can, and then he created out of nothing these luminaries that make up sun, moon, and stars. And they're these local representations of ongoing light that has been contained Put in a specific, a specific place for a specific purpose. Primarily, it's relation to the earth and its benefit to humanity. So that's important. So the proclamation, God creates these lights out of nothing, but just by his word. In other words, he localized them in a creative manner, and he may have used energy of light that already existed to do that. But he's being very purposeful here. He's fulfilling the, remember the tohu and the bohu in verse 2, where there, everything that he created was without form and was without void. It was without uh, purpose, and it was it was not filled up. He's, he's filling things. He's filling the sky. The sky was empty. Now he's filling the sky that was void, that was bohu. And he puts the sun, moon, and the stars there now. He's fulfilling verse 2. As he continues to create his masterpiece, and he's not done yet, because this is all for the purpose of serving humanity who will represent him on the earth. Very purposeful. So that's the proclamation. I want to remind you of Hebrews 11.3. That's, so in Wikipedia, you could, you have the right to go into Wikipedia and put an alternative option of how the earth came into existence. You could say, according to God, the earth or, I mean, the sun came into existence on day four of week one in creation, then you could put a little footnote down there and then on the you know on the back you should put bible and that's all you would need to say anyway, see how long it would stay up there, but it would be true God created the sun on day four hebrews eleven three that's that great chapter on faith, how important faith is, and faith is a gift from God, and God saves people through faith, and people do great things through God-given faith, and faith is so amazing. And then uh, chapter 11, verse 3 says this, By faith, we Christians understand, we understand. We understand this. this. is, In other words, to understand something means you comprehend it. It is clear to understand something. It has been communicated clearly, and you actually believe it. That's what understand means here. So if you're a Christian who believes in the Bible, you could say, by faith, in other words, trusting God at his word, that's all I got to go on, I wasn't there when the sun was created, when the world was created. I'm just trusting God at his word as revealed in Scripture. By faith, we Christians understand, we have heard, it is clear, and we actually believe it. Believe what? By faith, we understand that the world's The galaxies and all therein were prepared or created by the word of God. There it is. It's coming right out of Genesis chapter 1. So that what is seen in the created order was not made out of things which are visible. God created everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Well, that's not scientific. Well, I know it's not scientific. It's uh, super scientific. It is supernatural. It's a miracle. It is amazing. God is awesome. So God proclaimed and it came into existence. The sun, the moon, and the stars. Number two, after the proclamation regarding sun, moon, and stars is the separation. God's, He wants to separate things. He did a lot of separating in the earlier days of creation. He separated light and darkness in a preliminary fashion. Verse three and following. He separated the dry land from the waters. Remember that? To make the earth when He made mountains and valleys. So you're doing a lot of separating. That's what artists do, by the way. They separate. You take a big old hunk of limestone and in order to make a masterpiece, you've got to start separating pieces away from it with your hammer and your chisel. That's what artists do. If you're making clay masterpieces, you're separating. You're pulling clay away and you're ripping clay off. and That's what artists do. That's what God is doing. He's separating. He's fashioning. He's continuing on with his masterpiece. What is he separating? Well, his purpose here. God defines the purpose of the sun. He's giving purpose to the sun, moon, and stars. They're not created haphazardly uh, as a result of some accident, some purposeless, meaningless evolution over eons of time that has no purpose, random chance. No, there is definitive purpose here, and God says what the purpose is. There's a purpose clause repeated more than once in this passage. There's a purpose for the sun, moon, and stars. Then God said, let there be lights, In the expanse of the heavens. And then he goes on to define what those are. The greater light, the lesser lights, and the stars also. The sun, the moon, and the stars. Let the sun, moon, and stars come into existence by the word of my power and put them in the vault of the sky for all to see. That's what he's saying, and it happened. Boom. Well, what was the purpose, God? Well, he tells Moses, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens for the purpose of to separate at least three purposes. And these purposes serve the needs of humanity. They do serve the needs of animals, plants, and everything else, but primarily they serve the needs of humanity. God created the sun, moon, and stars for us. What a blessed gift. We use it all the time. When's the last time you thank God for the sun and its specific purpose of helping beautify your tan? Or you first graders, thanking God. Thank you, God, for that sun and this wonderful um, magnifying glass here that I have to, to burn these leaves and start a fire. I used to do that all the time growing up. As a kid, there was nothing more fun than that. We use sun all the time to dry things, and on and on it goes. The purpose, but God's stated purpose of the sun in second part of verse fourteen, for the purpose of to separate the day from night. So that that what is that? That's giving order. Basically, what it does, the sun moon to start give us order. Separates the day from the night. So days up to this point, we're already twenty four hours. Probably God established that on day one. We know that because God defined a day. If I were to ask you, define a biblical day. And if you said, well, it's, uh, 24 hours. Well, not necessarily. A, a biblical definition of a day. Well, it's, uh, the amount of time of the rotation of the sun, the moon, and the earth all in relation to one another. Nope. A biblical definition of day was given on day one. God said, this is a definition of a day. Verse five. There was evening and there was morning. One day. That's the def, that is a baseline biblical definition of a day and that refrain is repeated six times there was evening in other words there was time that went on and, and then it, there was the culmination of evening and then evening went on and then it ended in the date in the morning so that's the definition of a biblical day it just so happens that more than likely it was probably 24 hours so you've got probably 24 hour days already existing before the sun moon and stars were put in place well how's that possible We determine the 24 hours by the rotation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Well, that's what you think. but That isn't how it started. God said, God decreed, here's a day. It's going to have an evening and a morning, and it's going to be about 24 hours, and I'm going to create these luminaries so that they might monitor, engage this already 24-hour period that already exists for the purpose of serving humanity. That's the way God did it. Now, that's totally backward from what we're told about how time works that's all right. This is what the Bible says. Uh, so sun, moon, and stars were given to separate the day from the night, and that's exactly how the sun, moon, and stars still serve to this day. They serve this same purpose all over the world. It doesn't matter what country you go to. The sun, moon, and stars serve this purpose without deviation. It's been stable and constant for all of creation. It's absolutely amazing, and it will continue to be so till God says otherwise. Separating for day and night, uh, let them be for signs and for seasons. That's the second purpose, for signs and for seasons. So for monitoring a 24-hour day for us, day and night, uh, for monitoring signs, I'll stop there. So the sun, moon, and stars serve for signs, and they are signs in the heavens, and they've been used by humanity as signs all throughout history. Signs for navigation, you're out in the open sea, you don't know where you are, but you can look up at the constant of the stars, and then a captain of the ship can know exactly which direction to go. So they help with direction, and those kind of things, that is serving the purpose of man. That's what God intended for signs. And then false religion twisted that to make false signs like the horoscope from the zodiac. For signs, and then he says for seasons, for days and years. That's time. That's time beyond the 24 hours. For seasons. That's how we come up with our four seasons. Uh, there were seasons in the Bible and in the Old Testament. They functioned accordingly. They had festival days on certain days. Uh, they had great precision in timing and dating things. That's all throughout the Bible. There's great precision in dating even the flood that happened. It says exactly what month, what year, and what day the flood started in Genesis chapter 7, and then in Genesis chapter 8, it tells you exactly what day, what month, and what year it stopped so that we know that Noah was on the ark 371 days with great precision. All of that was based on the use of sun, moon, and stars as they gauge, help us manage and gauge time, and that's very helpful. If you have a watch, thank God for the sun, moon, and stars because our time is based on these luminaries he put in the sky, for us, for days, years. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful purpose. It's so practical. Verse 15, first part of verse 15, And let them be for light in the expanse, of the heavens and give light on the earth. So that's a third purpose. Just a very practical thing. God wants to give light on planet earth because everybody benefits from it. The sun is the greatest source of life on planet earth in terms of the energy that it provides, photosynthesis for plants, food for animals, etc., the whole food chain and the benefit we get from the sun itself. A source of life, a gift from God. Absolutely amazing. So that's the separation. Defining the purpose of the sun, moon, and stars for us. And God restrains, by the way, the power and the authority uh, of the sun, moon, and stars. He uses a specific Hebrew word. I'm going to create sun, moon, and stars. I'm going to put them in the sky. I'm going to give them a purpose. And their purpose is for the purpose of governing. Governing. Uh, verse 16, govern. Govern. That's a different word, Hebrew word, than the word for rule that man will do when man is created. Man will Rule, Genesis 1.26, that's a different word for governing, dominating, ruling. Uh, the ruling and the authority that sun, moon, and stars are is limited. It's less than man's authority. It serves the purpose of man. It's limited pretty much to the sky and the seasons. It doesn't dictate life on earth the way the false religions have done. So its authority is delegated authority, and it's limited authority, and it's all defined by God, and its purpose is to serve the needs of man. That's the separation. Then after the proclamation, the separation, there's the affirmation. Did this really happen? Pastor Cliff, is this ancient literature? And they didn't have the science and technology we have today. And they didn't really know. And they didn't have telescopes. And these stories that Moses wrote, if Moses even wrote this, he borrowed these from ancient myths. And they had weird views anyway. And they didn't believe in reality. They believed in fables. Isn't that where this came from? Don't we have to kind of demythologize it and read it in light of modern-day science today? Answer, no. We take it at face value. Jesus did. Jesus read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and he took it literally at face value. Did you know that? He did. Uh, Matthew 19 in the Gospels. Somebody asked him a hard question about life and he answers by quoting Genesis chapter 1 and from Genesis chapter 2 in the same answer. Assuming that Genesis 1 and 2 was literal, historical, and binding. So there are many references to the book of Genesis by Jesus and putting them all together. He believed it was all real, all historical. He thought Sodom and Gomorrah were real cities and they really got destroyed. He referred to Noah as a real historical man. He believed that the flood was literal just as it's described and universal. He believed Adam was a real man. He referred to Adam and Eve, the first women, the first uh, week of creation, where marriage came from, and on and on. So Jesus had a literal view of Genesis. Genesis. That's why we can go on to point number three, the affirmation. Did these things really happen? God highlights the historical reality of this passage in the events described therein. At the end of verse 15, after God said, let there be lights, sun, moon, and stars, and here's their purpose at the end of verse 15, and it was so. I've already gone over this. This is a very specific Hebrew phrase. could be translated, and it really happened that way. It really happened that way. This is how I have been translating it for 10 years In my Genesis class in seminary, just because I did the research and, oh, okay, here's the Hebrew phrase, here's what it says, here's the etymology, here's the context, here's how it's used in the book of Numbers, here's how it's used with respect to a prophecy that God gave one of the prophets, and it came to be true, and it was so, oh, there's no alternative meaning anywhere in the Bible to, and it was so, it really happened that way, it was historical, face value, that's how it is to be understood, that's how I've been teaching it for 10 years, so I was so delighted when I went to the Grand Canyon a few weeks ago, and I was with Dr. Bill Barrick, the Hebrew scholar of Hebrew scholars, and he gave a lesson on Genesis 1, and he stopped on that phrase, and it was so, and he said, and he shook his finger in our face, and he said, gentlemen, and it was so means God really did it. As a matter of fact, it can be translated as, it really happened this way. I was so delighted. Amen. Yeah, man! I just want to jump out of my chair. Dr. Barrick, thank you. So you can highlight that phrase at the end of verse 7, and it was so when God made the sky. And at the end of verse 9, and it was so when God made dry land appear. And at the end of verse 11, and it was so when God created plants. And at the end of verse 14, and it was so when God created sun, moon, and stars. That's really how it happened. And it was so, not the Wikipedia version. Verse 24, God creates living creatures at the end of verse 24 and it was so god creates the first two humans adam and eve at the end of verse 30 and it was so sorry to be laboring this point but it's in there five or six times i think god's trying to make a point why would why would god have to do that why would, well consider moses's audience this is new stuff this is mind-boggling this is shocking this is alarming probably the first time moses said it and read it off of those big old i don't know if it was on rocks or what and he said, and, and God, Yahweh, created the sun, moon, and stars out of nothing to be luminaries in the sky to serve the purpose of humanity. And they're not gods, and you're not to worship them. They're finite. And the people were just, whoa, we never heard that. Is, is that so, Moses? And it was so. You can only envision that's maybe that's what Moses was doing, being emphatic. He had to. We, we need this today. So many Christians are inclined to, well, yeah, I don't take it. you're not supposed to take it literally or believe it at face value. And it was so, and it was so, and anyway, we're highlighting the historical reality. Another thing that highlights the historical reality of this is the time frame and the context in which this happens, which the Babylonian uh, representation of how the sun, moon, and stars, and the Egyptian and all these ancient stories in Mesopotamia, they don't give a historical context of when the sun, moon, and stars came into existence that you see here. It's very literal, very earthy, very uh historical, very specific. What was the context? Well, and it was so, verse 16, God made the two lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. God made the sun to govern the day, and God made the moon to govern the night. Notice that he calls the moon a luminary, a container, a lamp. In other words, it didn't have... Sun in and of itself, necessarily. Neither did the sun. Found its, ultimately, it found its origin from God and the energy that he gave it. Totally consistent to govern the night. And then, by the way, at the end of verse 16, it says, oh, by the way, he made the stars, too. I mean, it's just like a parenthetical afterthought. Oh, yeah, by the way, I almost forgot he made the stars, too. That would have been shocking to the Egyptians because the Egyptians believed that actually the stars were greater than the sun and the moon. Or the Babylonians in particular. The greatest of the deities in the heavens were the stars. And then here's Moses saying, oh, by the way, yeah, the stars, he made those too. Don't make such a big deal. Don't worship the stars. They're not gods. They're not deities. They're a period at the end of the sentence that God is an awesome creator. He made the stars too. How many stars did he make? Well, he made 1,572 according to scientists in the Middle Ages, 1,572. Then they got a telescope. Oops, there's 1,613. Oops, got a bigger telescope. Oh, actually, there's 2,010. Oops, now with our telescopes, they tell us there are, get this, hundred 100 billion stars just in our galaxy that they can see. Who in the world counted a 100 billion stars? Anyway, that's in our galaxy. Well, how many galaxies are there? There's a 100 billion galaxies that we know of. Can you do the math? I can't. There are, according to Wikipedia, that's such a great resource to depend upon. I'm going to quote from them. According to Wikipedia, there are at least a septillion visible stars, let alone stars we can't see. And then here's Moses. Oh, yeah, by the way, God made the stars too. That's awesome. Verse 17, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. In other words, it fulfilled its purpose perfectly. Sin hadn't invaded yet. Satan hadn't invaded yet. Exactly the way you want it. Verse 9. Well, when did this happen? Well, it happened on day 4. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. A literal day. Because the word day in Hebrew here means day. There's no arguing with it. So here's a little devotional thought. Well, what should the sun, moon, and stars and talking about it and all their grandeur and amazement do for us? Well, as Christians, it always takes us back to God and how awesome He is, isn't it? At least that's what Scripture says. So here's just three reminders. Every time we look at the stars, based on biblical precedent, we can be reminded of some amazing things about God. In Genesis 15, God told Abraham to look at the stars. What was he doing? He was telling them, you know what? When you look at the stars, you can remember that God keeps his promises. He is faithful. He is constant. You know what? That applies to us. When you see the stars, just think God is faithful. He keeps his promises. Genesis 15, God also had a conversation with Job about the stars, Job chapter 38, 31 to 33, and God rebuking Job, starts talking about the Pleiades and the Orion, and he mentions at least four stellar constellations. He says, Job, were you there when I made the stars? Do you have so much knowledge that you can name and know these stars? God was humbling, Joe. When we see the stars, we need to be humbled about how awesome God is. We're reminded of God's faithfulness to his promises, but we are also humbled at his power. And then finally, Psalm 19 talks very specifically about the sun and the stars and that the heavens are telling of the glory of God. The heavens, literally the sky, the sun, moon, and the stars. And then he begins, the psalmist describes the sun and how it moves and how it moves with such beauty and grandeur and constancy and fulfills a purpose. And it's absolutely amazing. It is awe-inspiring. And it is to woo us and bring us down to worship our God, the creator. But also he follows up saying, but don't worship nature. Uh, these things out in nature need to be interpreted by divine revelation. And that's exactly what he, do, what he does for us. So uh, a beautiful message there. And that is when we look at the stars, we should worship the Almighty for being an awesome creator. So we look at the stars We're reminded of God's faithfulness. We are humbled. We worship Him all for His glory, all for our good. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank You for our time together here in the local fellowship and all that You have brought about and privileged us to be a part of, from the singing to the fellowship to um, committing a family to You in prayer and committing another to prayer as they depart and being able to give to you, and also to learn the truth of your word. God, thank you for preserving it for us for literally thousands of years. Help us through the Holy Spirit to have confidence in it, to read it with understanding, to believe it accordingly, to apply it to our lives so that it will affect the way we live for you and toward others. All for your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.